There's a new podcast we'd like to recommend from NARAL Pro-Choice America called The Lie That Binds. This November, abortion access is on the line like never before. But we can fight back with NARAL President Elise Hoag, Stacey Abrams, Loretta Ross, and so many more. This series helps listeners make sense of how we got here and how we get out of this mess. You don't want to miss this one. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody's always asked over the years, like, what's new in technology and fundraising? And nothing is new. Fundraising is the same, no matter if you're doing it online or doing it on purpose, like in person. You have to make a specific, urgent, compelling ask. And it's relationship building. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. And that's Erin Hill. She's the executive director of Act Blue, the tech platform powerhouse behind most small dollar online donations to Democrats. Since 2004, the platform has helped raise more than $6 billion, including more than $3 billion in the 2020 cycle alone. Despite the fact that she leads one of the most important online campaign platforms in politics, Erin's background isn't in tech. There was a really steep learning curve, trying to make sure that I could understand what I should understand and also understand when I should leave it to other people's expertise. And I think learning that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to learn across the process. That's something that's kept me, I think, energized in this work over this long period of time because it's been a learning experience. We talked about the 2020 campaign, how online donations are transforming politics, and what she has learned over the years as Act Blue has become increasingly central to Democratic campaigns. People are suffering right now. People are experiencing loss and grieving. People are experiencing losses of jobs. But what I think is important to remember is that unfortunately this isn't new for small dollar donors. It's always been a sacrifice for them to make five or $10 contributions. They've always had to think about what they're giving up in order to support a campaign or a cause or an organization. And now here's my conversation with Aaron Hill. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. We are here chatting just as the Republican convention is coming to a close. You serve as executive director of Act Blue. I'm sure most of our listeners are probably familiar with it, but for those who aren't, what exactly is Act Blue? Thanks, Anna, for having me. I'm so glad to chat with you today. ActBlue is a nonprofit, and we provide the infrastructure for small-dollar donors to be able to make contributions to campaigns and committees and organizations and nonprofits on the left. We have been around since 2004. We've worked with tens of thousands of campaigns and millions of donors. Over that time, folks have used our platform to give up over $6 billion to campaigns and committees and organizations with an average contribution size of around $35. So it's a lot of people taking a lot of action. $6 billion with a B. That is very impressive. Blue has become this kind of juggernaut online for the Democratic Party. Uh, it kind of it definitely outsizes what the Republicans have been able to do online. Let's talk just about this cycle. How much has been raised by Democrats this cycle so far through ActBlue? We are a little under $3 billion has been raised just from 2019 and 2020. There's a lot of different ways to go online, to a campaign, to a, you know, to a cause and and give money. But what do you think is the differentiator and also just the fact that you've been able to be around for this long and still kind of maintain that massive presence is really impressive. So we really look at ourselves as infrastructure and getting to support all of the work that's happening on campaigns and organizations and nonprofits. 
they're all doing the really important work of make, building connections and relationships with small dollar donors, really centering the grassroots in their work and bringing more people into that space. For us, we're infrastructure. We get to exist cycle over cycle. Campaigns, no matter how big they are, are ephemeral. They become the most important thing for a little while. And then a lot of that knowledge gets lost. But with us, we get to learn things during those campaigns and carry them over cycle versus cycle. And donors can connect with us to give to any of the tens of thousands of folks on our platform. And that makes it really easy for donors. I think if you want more people to participate, and at the end of the day, that's what ActBlue's focus is, trying to help bring more people into the movement, make it easy, and lower that barrier of entry for more people to take some decisive, meaningful action through contributions. You get to really think about that user experience. And so donors can save their payment information with us in something we call ActBlue Express. We have about 12 million donors who do that. And once they do that, they can give to anyone on our platform with one click. And so we get to be that kind of continuity um, for folks between cycles. And we get to just have our tools be supporting all the important work that all these campaigns and organizations are doing. For us, that's the hard part when people are building those connections and you get a donor to say, yes, I believe in what you're building. I want to be part of that. Once they make that transaction, we see it as our job to make it as frictionless as possible. And so I think it's been that kind of economy of scale. And also we're a nonprofit. We are a mission-based organization. Our goal is to help more people to participate in our democracy. And we do that right now through fundraising. And so that also just kind of keeps our focus on there. It means that we can make investments from a mission-based perspective and not think about bottom lines or shareholders we have to pay out to. And that I think has kept us really focused and helped us grow over the past decade too. So you mentioned kind of there's a lot of small donors, right? Kind of dollar donors. And that has been the currency when you look at a lot of these campaigns, right? It's how much have they raised? But then it's kind of looking at the differentiating factor between small dollar donors and how many big donors uh, they've had in this 2020 cycle. Bernie was kind of the juggernaut when it came to online fundraising. He got a lot of those reoccurring donors, which what you basically just talked about, that kind of that easy you know, donor, you make it very easy for them to give $10 a month. Um, some Democratic fundraisers have really said they they were telling us uh, that they see that as the future. Are you seeing more of this reoccurring effort? Is that something that you try to encourage folks to do? Yes, a lot of campaigns uh, work and build recurring programs for us. And we certainly have a lot of tools to make it easy for not only donors to sign up for recurring contributions, but to manage them once they get set up with it. I think uh, everybody's always asked over the years, like, what's new in technology and fundraising? And nothing is new. Fundraising is the same no matter if you're doing it online or doing it on purpose, like in person. You have to make a specific, urgent, compelling ask. And it's relationship building. And that is part of the hallmark of what makes recurring contributions work so well, because it means that people are investing in the work that you're doing. And monthly, they're getting those touchstones. You're messaging them. You're telling them about what their work is helping to power. And they see that as an ongoing connection that they're having. It's also a little bit of an easier ask for people making a contribution. A lot more people can think about giving two or three dollars a month uh, in a way different than they could maybe giving a hundred dollars a month. And so it makes it more accessible for folks. It's also just how how we're all interacting with technology these days. How many subscriptions do you have right now, Anna, for technology or entertainment or boxes that come to your house? And so I think it's also another one of those kind of ways of meeting donors where they are in the language that they're used to doing over the internet. So I think that that's a really important thing going forward. I also think, again, thinking about people's use cases right now and the fact that so many of us are on mobile devices and thinking about how to invest in that is also where we're seeing a lot of fundraising trend too. 
All right. I want to talk more about you, but uh, before I do, obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic. I'd love to get your reaction to what the impact at Blue has seen with COVID-19, with Black Lives Matter and these social justice protests that have been happening across the country. Yeah, it's challenging times um, in our country. I think in terms of the pandemic, people are suffering right now. People are experiencing loss and grieving. People are experiencing losses of jobs. But what I think is important to remember is that unfortunately this isn't new for small dollar donors. It's always been a sacrifice for them to make five or $10 contributions. They've always had to think about what they're giving up in order to support a campaign or a cause or an organization. They have always known that that is a sacrifice from their budget. And so I think unfortunately making these calculations isn't new to small dollar donors. They're always thinking about, can I do this? And right now I think some people are figuring that they can't and that is important and okay. People should not stretch to do things that they can't do at this moment. Um, we're all suffering through this finding our way. But I think there's also a lot of people who are at home and they're seeing what's happening and they want change and they want to feel like they're doing something proactive. They want to be connected to action. And so they're seeing their contributions as one way they can do that. Obviously, we're living in a time of amazing civil protest and organization. We are seeing decades of work done by Black-led organizations and racial justice organizers that it, the testament of the work that they've done to the moment that we find people are in right now where people are protesting and we're all striving for a better America. And I think small dollar donations are one way that people can do that. And we've actually seen an increase in people making contributions over the past few months because I think people are looking to, again, invest in a better world, feel like they're being part of this action, and to uh, really back up and support all the amazing protest and organizing work that's happening across the country to help lead us there. All right. Well, let's take a step back. Tell us, where did you grow up? Did you have a big family? What, 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 what's the start for Erin Hill? <laughs> I grew up a little bit outside of Boston in a city called Revere, Massachusetts. And uh, I'm currently still in Massachusetts, so native Bay Stater here. I grew up, uh, you know, in an Irish Catholic family. Um, my grandfather had 10 siblings and <laughs> uh, public service was always kind of a way of life um, for them. So I grew up doing visibility and holding signs with my parents and canvassing and protesting. In some ways, uh, that idea of civic participation in public service has been something that's been ingrained in me for a really long time. So did you always, I mean, kind of holding signs and, and kind of talking about politics around the around the table. But did you always know you wanted to be involved in politics or did that come later? Yeah, I worked in, in, in campaigns all through high school and college. I interned um, in different offices, congressional offices. Um, so I always wanted to be involved in public service in some way. I wasn't sure what to ha would happen. Um, the kind of work that I do now at ActBlue didn't exist at that period of time. So it wasn't really on my radar that that was a possibility. But I've been so grateful that I found this work. I started at 2005. We just passed my 15-year uh, anniversary date uh, of starting in ActBlue. And it's been just humbling to be able to do this work over that period of time because it's been different at all different stages and getting to learn new things as we kind of grow and getting to see this idea have a real impact on the world. We'll be right back after this quick break. This November, abortion access is on the line like never before. 
But we can fight back, and NARAL Pro-Choice America is leading the charge with their new podcast, The Lie That Binds. With a deep dive into the history of how the radical right weaponized abortion to hijack our democracy, the series helps listeners make sense of how we got here and how we get out of this mess. The Lie That Binds unpacks the terrifying rise of the anti-choice movement from its roots in school segregation to the election of President Donald Trump. It features NARAL Pro-Choice America President Elise Hoag, along with leaders, activists, and experts like Stacey Abrams, Loretta Ross, Wendy Davis, Imani Gandhi, and so many more. Don't miss this one. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. We wanted to tell our listeners about another great podcast, Tilted. You'll hear fascinating conversations at the intersection of gender and culture. Hosted by Lean In CEO Rachel Thomas, guests include transparent creator Joey Soloway, LGBTQ activist Jacob Tobia, and comics Cameron Esposito and Lauren Lapkus. They'll discuss everything from fighting burnout to raising boys who don't get stuck in the so-called man box. So check out Tilted every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You know, you're a woman in technology, and obviously you didn't you didn't come from that background. It wasn't, you know, you didn't know. I was an English major, Anna. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> you think about that. Can you talk about your experience? So many women, and, and obviously this is a large demographic of our listeners are women, kind of talk about, we often have conversations around going into and kind of feeling that self-doubt or that maybe you weren't a programmer, you weren't in technology your whole life. How did you deal with those kinds of obstacles? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I kind of found myself um, in this space. And I came here from an organizing and campaign background, not from a technology background. And I became uh, executive director of ActBlue in 2009. And there was a really steep learning curve um, trying to make sure that I could understand what I should understand and also understand when I should leave it to other people's expertise. Um, and I've been very fortunate to work with amazing colleagues who have wonderful expertise that I can trust in that space. And I think learning how to... Um, that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to learn across the process. That's something that's kept me, I think, energized in this work over this long period of time because it's been a learning experience. I have learned a whole bunch of skills about entrepreneurship and technology along with politics and organizing that I didn't know I would want to learn, um, you know, 20 years ago. And so I think um, there's this stigma that we all have to know everything from the beginning and we have to feel like we're on top of things. But I find that asking questions and admitting what I don't know is a really great way to learn new things and then get to that space. And that's something I think I had to pick up and learn how to do over time. And I'm still not always great at it. I think that's somewhat comes with age and kind of being in a job for a while. But I agree. I, I think it's something that particularly a lot of women struggle with. I, I also think it's kind of interesting. You know, you all uh, believe are based in Somerville, Massachusetts. Is that right? So, so how does that, I mean, do you come to Washington very often? I would think kind of typically as somebody who's been in Washington a really long time, you're the biggest kind of player in Washington fundraising, but you're not even based here. What, talk about that distance and what it may the benefits are and maybe, you know, if there are any, any detractions to that. Yep. We got located here in Massachusetts because that's where our founders were. And so that just happened to be the circumstances that came up. And I think over the years, it was an asset. We are close enough to do see that I'm there frequently. Um, you can get on a plane and be there in 
45 minutes or an hour um, for having those conversations. But so much of our work is about, is digital. It's helping folks, the biggest generator of contributions through Act Blue are still people sending emails and doing that connection. And it's important, I think, that we have to do so much of our communication that way. It keeps us connected to the way that supporters are getting connected with campaigns. Also, I think that there's just efficiencies that come with that um, and that that's just where the campaign world has moved. Uh, obviously, during a pandemic, we're all living in a digital first uh, kind of community, but that's where campaigning was going to begin mm-hmm. with. I think you saw that play out in lots of different ways across the presidential Democratic primary as a lot of those campaigns were really uh, digitally focused um, and that that's kind of what drove a lot of that primary. And I think that's just the world that we're in. And what happens is useful with that. It's more efficient. It means you can connect with more people. And so uh, to some way, I think we were fortunate to be uniquely positioned to be able to kind of pivot in this moment and be able to have our workforce work remotely and still be able to kind of keep up the pace of the work that we were doing. And I think it's been a little helpful to kind of have that distance. We can travel, but... Not all of our users are in Washington, right? We work with, we've worked with 20,000 different campaigns and committees and nonprofits just in 2019 and 2020. And those folks are across the country. We have a huge team that does work to cultivate and help uh, work with state and local candidates across the country. And so as much as it's easy to get to DC, before the pandemic, we had folks who were traveling across the country every weekend to do trainings and to meet people in person. And so for us, it's been about being flexible and not necessarily tied to one of those locations. Is that, I mean, is the digital divide, is that an issue? I mean, when you talk about kind of, I always think of it just like, oh, I'm on my phone, I would go and, you know, contribute to something, right? But when you think about local, you know, races and and races across the country, how much emphasis are you guys putting on in terms of kind of digital literacy almost? You know, for us, it's about trying to listen to the candidates on the ground and hear what they need and to we are thinking a lot about lowering the barrier of entry across the across the entire movement. So making it easy for new donors to be able to make contributions and as frictionless as possible, but making it easy for first-time candidates and new organizations to be able to get off the ground too, including folks who maybe don't have a fundraising network to begin with. And that looks different depending on the needs of those campaigns, but state and local campaigns are generally so small. There's a, you know, a spouse and a neighbor and a candidate over a kitchen table working together. And the thing that they don't have is time. And so there's lots of ways that technology can just help them get some time back. And so I think we try to start in what's most relevant for them. How can we help them? Knowing that our tools, they're the same tools that the Biden campaign is using to run a presidential campaign that we offer to state and local candidates, but how they're going to deploy that depends on what makes sense for them in their campaign. And so I think that's, again, about meeting people where they are and trying to provide the support and the training that they need, not just for the race that they're in now, but for them and the staffers and the races that they're going to be in in the future, too. I think it's a long-term investment. So we have had a lot of women on this show who have either aspired to be candidates, have been candidates, have won. And one of the most consistent gripes we hear uh, is about the need to raise money. Most women hate it. <laughs> they hate asking for it. They, they kind of don't feel comfortable doing it. What advice would you give to a woman candidate thinking about just kind of the massive amount? And even if it's at a local level, it, it can seem like an almost insurmountable amount of money, even if it's not as big as you know running for Senate or something like that. Don't think about it as a burden on people. Think about it as offering them an opportunity to participate. And don't be paternalistic and take away their opportunity to decide whether or not that's right for them. That's their choice to make, not yours. And so I know that we feel like, oh, well, it's burdening somebody to put them in this position or ask for a contribution. But what you're doing is you're inviting them as a chance to be part of the vision that you're building in. 
And donors are smart. Small dollar donors are smart. And they're going to ask you tough questions and they're going to make their own decisions in that space. What you can do is offer them that opportunity. And I think, you know, this is my bailiwick, but talking <laughs> about small dollar donations, I think can make this seem more achievable to first time candidates or folks who are worried about that, because then you're talking about quantity. You're not talking about particular numbers. You're talking about how do you build a legion of grassroots supporters? It's money in the bank and you can't do your work without money. And that's really important. But it's also the backbone of your campaign. These are folks who are also going to volunteer in other ways. They're also going to come support. They're going to tell their friends about your campaign. And so you're building your campaign holistically with all of this. And small dollar donors uh, donations can also just be really smart strategy. They can change how you spend your candidate time because that's the resource you don't tend not to have the most of when you're in a campaign. And so especially you know in the 2018, so many women got elected to Congress. Congress for the first time. And a lot of those candidates have been, uh, well, now Congress members have been really clear about how having a grassroots base has changed how they spend their time and how they govern. I think uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez has been really clear about the fact that she is talking to her constituents. She is in her district. She is prepping for those cross-examinations of folks that go viral because she's not doing call time, because she has a grassroots donor base that's supporting her campaign, which means she can spend her time differently, too. And I think that that's something that sometimes people don't think about from a strategy standpoint. I think small dollar donations are great for our democracy, but it's also just smart politics. It was interesting. Last cycle, I actually was up kind of in your neck of the woods uh, in Boston with Ayanna Presley, now Congresswoman Presley, talking, you know, on the campaign, seeing how she was uh, doing in her primary. And she kind of was on the forefront of this trend of not accepting corporate PAC money. Do you see more, uh, in, if you kind of were to look towards the future, that there's going to be more of that, that it's going to be more small dollars and less kind of the bigger corporate money that has, has been kind of the backbone of a lot of fundraising? over the past 20 or so years? It's already um, more small dollar contributions. So through uh, the end of Q2 on June 30th, contributions through Act Blue were 75% of the money that has gone into all Democratic House and Senate campaigns so far on the federal level. And our average contribution size is somewhere in the middle of $30. I think that uh, small dollar donations, they help us expand the map. It's just a different way of thinking about things. When folks thought about high dollar donors or think about kind of corporate donors, that's a finite resource. People are choosing where to play and put that money. They're choosing which campaigns to give to. Small dollar donors don't think about things like that. They will contribute to things that matter to them. They will give $5 to one campaign. And just because they made that contribution doesn't mean they won't give $5 to another campaign that matters to them. And that means that they are funding a wider swath of candidates across the board. And I think that kind of fundraising at a time when we're seeing unprecedented new candidates running for the first time and candidate engagement, we're fielding candidates in more districts than we've ever had before, helps us expand the map. And we saw that happen in 2018, where almost all the Democratic challengers uh, who are running for Congress were out fundraising their Republican opponents, mostly through small dollar donations. And that meant we were contesting and being really viable in a lot of different districts. Whereas if you're relying on super PAC money or some big funder to give those monies, they're only going to play in certain targeted races. And I think the Republicans found themselves at a disadvantage because they had a smaller map that they were playing with than we did on the other side. And so I think small dollar donations 
organizations are really important for making sure that our grassroots are at the center of our party, making sure that the issues that they care about are getting heard and making sure that the people go, who go into office are representing the people they're going to serve. But also, I think it's just a stronger strategy for us that helps us to compete more places, helps new voices to be able to run for office and uh, helps us to be more competitive in those races across the board. So I think you're going to only see more of it because I think it makes sense for a lot of different angles. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Republicans. They have clearly struggled compared to where Democrats are in terms of online small dollar fundraising. They've raced to try to find a counter to act blue with their version win red. What's your reaction to the GOP effort? Well, that's the most recent effort. They've tried a couple of different things for a few years. I think they just approach this from a different place than we do. ActBlue is an independent nonprofit. Um, we are focused on this mission of what we can do to make sure small dollar donors work with us uh, and are able to participate in more places. People don't sign contracts to work with ActBlue. We intend that if you use our platform, like you'll be able to engage more small dollar donors because that is our mission. That is our purpose. And we've never lost a head-to-head A-B test against any other platform. And we were really built, you know, from the ground up, working with practitioners in the field, learning from them about what they needed, working with them to run tests, hearing from donors and incorporating that feedback into our platform. Whereas I think the Republicans have, you know, they've gone with for-profit solutions, which I think are just a little hard to kind of focus on this work when you're also like serving other purposes. Their current effort has come really top down from the RNC, from the Trump campaign, from folks in the White House. And I think it's just a very different method. The technology is really important. And I'm so proud of the folks on my staff who built the technology. I think they are second to none. They do fantastic work, but that's not at all the only thing. We get to support all the work that all these other folks are doing. There's an entire group of folks across the country who work on these campaigns, building these relationships with small dollar donors. We're just backing that up. And it's that organizing work that really makes this make sense. It's that organizing work, which is why small dollar donors are centered in these campaigns. It's that organizing work, why folks want to contribute to these campaigns and causes. And I'm not sure that we see that in the same way on the on the right. I'm proud that of how much money the Biden campaign has been able to raise from grassroots contributions through our platform. I'm proud of how much money the of federal races uh, have been able to raise all the way down to state legislative races, where we're still seeing record amounts of small dollar contributions into state and local races this cycle. And I think we have just a different approach. We have that holistic response. I want to ask about the Biden campaign. What have you seen? I mean, that's been one of the knocks was that he struggled with the kind of digital fundraising. Do you think have, have they been able to write that effort? And I mean, obviously, there's been a bunch of stories about Kamala coming on board and a lot of a lot of uh, kind of fundraising activity off of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you've seen the numbers over the past few weeks, they're doing really, really well in their digital work. And I think that that's because they're centering their grassroots. When they announced Senator Harris as the VP pick, they announced that to their grassroots, first and foremost. Uh, that message didn't go out to the media at first. It went out to their list. Um, and I think that they're doing a great job of making sure that they're helping people feel involved in that campaign and they're letting grassroots donors know that they need them. Last week during the convention, they had a whole series of small dollar events where they were making VP Biden and Senator Harris and other luminaries in the party kind of available, talking directly to the grassroots with a really low price point of like $10. They were making sure to keep their folks engaged through emails and through text all through the week last week. And then you also had folks like Ava Longoria and Kerry Washington saying from, you know, their platform that they needed people to go to JoeBiden.com and contribute 5 and $10 because it's a grassroots funded campaign and it's their campaign and they need people to be part of that. And I think the numbers that they're posting is because 
because of the amazing work that they're doing to really center small dollar donors and make sure that that's a fundamental grassroots campaign. And that's why they're hitting those huge fundraising numbers. I think they're doing really, really well. All right. And last question. So obviously, ActBlue has been around for a long time. You've grown. The technology has changed as, as you know, technology in general has changed. What's next? Is there, I mean, you're very mission focused about online fundraising, but is there other areas or avenues or, or a future that will expand upon the current mission? Right now, we're very focused on the next few months and uh, what we need to be able to deliver for folks in the next few months uh, and make sure that small dollar donors are really powering the change that I think is possible in this country and that we all know needs to happen. And so we're keeping our eyes on that. But I think in general, we're always trying to think about how we can be infrastructure, how we can be behind the scenes supporting important work and doing the unglamorous mechanics that help kind of fund some of these things going on. And so I'm not sure what's next. I think we're always going to keep our eyes and ears open for that and continue to collaborate with the folks who use our tools, both donors and campaigns and organizations and nonprofits, and figure out how we can be part of what comes next there. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. Irene Gucci is the executive producer of Politico Audio. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. It's easier for people to find us that way. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at apalmerdc. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866. 